Hello and welcome to another episode of You Never Forget Your First. I'm your host, my name is Dom, but this week's episode is not a debut film. What is going on guys? What's happening? I need my first film fix. Well, we have decided that every now and then, in and amongst the wealth of debut films that we cover, we'll pepper in what I'm calling hangout episodes, which is what I'm going with for the moment, where we explore a topic related to directing and filmmaking. Think of it like an intermission in really old cinemas where everyone got to have a really quick chat about what was happening on screen. We'd love to hear what you think of these Hangout Eps. Rest assured the main bulk of Eps is still debut films and we have some seriously good ones on the horizon. One of them even rhymes with schmuckschmart. Let you figure that one out. For this week's episode, I thought what is a director's cut would be a good topic to discuss. Uh, This came about because of the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, which came out recently, which was a four-hour kind of unfiltered vision of one director. If you're not into superhero films, we don't hang around on this topic for long, but it was the jumping-off point for this discussion that kind of made me think, why do director's cuts even exist? How they end up even becoming the best versions of a film um, over a long enough period? And yeah, we go into all sorts in this episode. A lot of tangents as usual. For long-time listeners who are well-versed in the ongoing gag that we somehow find a way to mention Netflix and streaming every episode, well, we may well have found the best use for mentioning it in this app, as you will hear. I'm joined by the OG gang, that's Benass, Louie and Sparrow. And as I record this, all four of us are going off to see Nomadland tomorrow, which marks my first time in the cinema since seeing Tenet last July. I cannot wait. Let's hit play on this episode. Oh, and by the way, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at YNFYFpod, and that is the same for Twitter and Instagram. Hope you're enjoying going back to the cinema, and enjoy this episode. We're back. Most listeners listening to this will not understand we're back because of the time that this episode comes out. We haven't actually recorded together for like a month, I think, or five weeks. Definitely longer for Analog Man, Sparrow. I've been skiving. For people who don't know, I'm Dom and this is Sparrow. Hello. We're joined by Benass as well. Hey, how come you're not introducing by the the, the, the nicknames of going on over here? But hey. Oh yeah. Okay. Fine. Well, I I feel like I'm tra- I'm trying to intro new people that might be really confused as oh, to yeah, all, all our different Clint nicknames. <laughs> We are joined by Louis, otherwise known as Lou Tang Clan. Hello. My squadcast name is Clint Beastwood, Sparrows is Analog Man, and Benass is just, just your name, which I feel might be the, the default thing that gets put in <laughs> if you don't put in a name. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was, actually. Guys, it's been a while since we've recorded. This it feels... Has. The world's so different. Next time, next time we record, things will probably have started to open up a little bit. Or maybe when you're listening to this, things will be open. You might be listening to this from a club floor. <laughs> <laughs> trying to listen to this in the back of a nightclub. Guys, like, guys, 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 we're trying yeah. to do this episode. DJ Tiesto, like, mate, shut up. I'm trying to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Don't know what order these are going to come out in, so this might just be super confusing for someone on the other end of I'm this. I'm already confused, bro, and I'm on this. I don't know we even know what episode this is. <laughs> I'm, I'm confused. Welcome to episode one. Well, it's not just another episode though, is it? No, it's not. I, I probably have done a spiel up front for this, but a spielberg up front for this. But um, yeah, we are, we're branching out. We're not just going to be doing the debut apps. We're going to be doing these kind of episodes focused on directing and filmmaking because we all, we all just have a lot to say. Everyone is just dying to get their words out. Hence the podcast. <laughs> 
So this is uncharted territory, guys. We have done special episodes before. We have done one-off episodes before. How's everyone feeling about this episode? I'm in tears. I'm stressed because I... we're not doing the, the old format that I, I know. <laughs> I'm intrigued to see how this goes. Um, <laughs> is a purist. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it goes as well. <laughs> I feel like um, I feel like you know I'm I'm a little bit out of my depth on this one just because um, usually not being a film buff, I can just watch the film that we're talking about and sort of pretend to sound oh, remotely yeah. a little bit clever about something. But is this, so are you saying is this the episode where we out you? Yeah, <laughs> this, is where, this is the one where I say, oh yeah, no, I haven't seen He's that. He's a phony. Oh yeah, no, I haven't seen that vote, one. Vote Louis off YNFYF. <laughs> Trending on Twitter. Yeah, this is where my imposter syndrome is revealed. Now, who is this guy? Qualifies Louis's him. like, what is a film? I've gone 35 episodes without being without being found out. Is he even listening? Isn't every cut a director's cut? Uh, that is a good question. I don't know whether we should do the, the spiel of what we've all been watching or whether we should just get into this, but I know Benass has sent a massive list of stuff that has been watched. It wasn't that massive, man. It was, in terms of your list types it was small but to anyone who's recently watched list it's like 20 times longer than <laughs> it's all relative i mean like the great wall of china is small by some counts right compared yeah. to jupiter <laughs> but it's still fucking big man the great wall of benass's films <laughs> but, um yeah we have got the oscars coming up as well i don't know if we will do an episode about that potentially if we can find a way in well it's in well, it's it's this month no it, are they doing it remotely or is it gonna try um, and make it? there's they're yeah, doing it on Squadcast, like we are. <laughs> Part of it is basically wanted to be like over Zooms, but then Oscars were like, nah, fuck that. We, we're going to put you all in the bubble. So then there you go. Chill for two weeks with your Oscar losers and winners and then see how and that I guess if you, had been, if you had been voted for an Oscar and then you, you the one year it had to be remote, you oh, would yeah. be, be pissed, that could man. be a once Wait. in a lifetime opportunity to yeah. go. <laughs> Wait, sorry. So they're going to isolate that's, everybody so that they the, can do it in that's person? That's their thinking. Uh, right now, but this is just gonna be like a Big Brother house full of every every celebrity. But if, yeah, if you didn't know the winners, then it's just gonna be like you could be there, like isolated and not get any awards, <laughs> or you could go through all that. And yeah, <laughs> not actually I mean, this sounds like the best reality TV show ever made. It's just like all the most <laughs> famous people on the planet, <laughs> like stuck together for two weeks while they talk about who lost and who won. All the parties are gonna have to be with the same people because you couldn't have like an offshoot of an after party. It would have yeah. to be with the people that have quarantined. Yeah. Uh, also, I think there won't be much of a party, man. Realis- realistically thinking, um, there's not much to party about. <laughs> are they gonna Are they gonna learn their lesson, or are we still gonna They're gonna put the things which aren't really important, like cinematography, in the break. The, the awards that no one really cares they'll about. Do, they'll do cinematography on Skype, where the connection is terrible. <laughs> just they'll do work. that. They'll just do that in the Skype chat. Yeah. <laughs> a, a WhatsApp group. <laughs> Just type it. They'll just put a gif for who wins. It's like, I can't... What? Who won? I can't decipher from this gif who the winner was. That's the excuse they'll give for why Nolan doesn't win, because he doesn't own a phone. Oh, yeah. That's probably why he doesn't get nominated. That is like a meta joke on a meta joke. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not here to talk about the Oscars. We are here to talk about the episode title, which yours truly has come up with for this first offshoot episode of YNFYF gonna put drums in the edit in the background while i'm talking the episode title is what is a director's cut i felt like this would be a good one to do because it's like around directors it's something that i've always kind of thought myself something that you kind of consciously know and can kind of define but when you get into it conversation gets quite complex i'm sure there's some way to relate it to netflix and streaming that we can get as well we so will that's one of the reasons we will definitely <laughs> definitely why i chose it 
I think the 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 other reason why I thought this would be good is and for anyone who's not not a fan of superhero films or or the Justice League or Marvel or whatever we're definitely not <laughs> Ben Asses slowly opening a beer in the background <laughs> sorry um, <laughs> definitely not gonna be focusing on this but the Snyder cut that's come out recently Schneider which is the full, full the Schneider cut as Sparrow <laughs> put it earlier for some for some reason a German director or something <laughs> Yeah, some German guy in Germany is like, why are they doing a podcast about me? Um, the Schneider cut that came out, which was the four-hour cut of Justice League, which fulfills his vision of the film. I thought that was just like a, a really interesting... Because essentially it's a director's cut, in other words. Well, just, well, just, just, for, just for people who don't know, so obviously the, the Crash Course is... There was a, it was initially released and it was kind of partly directed by Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. And then this is a few years later. The Zack Snyder cut has been has been released. That's the- um, yes. Twenty seventeen. Joss Whedon came out with his uh, with with his take on Justice League. Essentially, um, mo- a lot of it was uh, mismatched and kind of like arbitrarily used. So like some shots were like, why is this here? Why is this line here? This line doesn't make sense. It's- it was basically two directors' visions fighting. In exactly, one film. and two very different directors. Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder could not be more different. I swear to God. Um, so after that film, fans campaigned uh, campaigned for four years, essentially, uh, to get this, this Zack Snyder version. Yeah, that's actually a really good point to mention, that they campaigned to hashtag release the Snyder Cut for, for like four years. And eventually Warner Brothers paid, I think, $17 million to get the film finished. And yeah. And now it's out on HBO Max. Yeah. yeah. So did they, did they actually shoot new stuff? They shot like a couple of things, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I just thought this was an interesting like cultural thing to jump off because it's like, yeah, it is a director wasn't able to fulfill their vision for whatever reason and now fans campaign to get this back. And obviously it's around popular property like superhero films. But I thought the idea of a director's cut and people, you know, wanting that and wanting that vision was just an interesting area to go around and even just to ask the question like what is a director's cut because i started thinking like well isn't every cut that comes out a director's cut nah, in, 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 in to some degree yeah and, and obviously it's because studios have control over over films but um yeah it's, it's interesting hire a director to do it to shoot something and then the actual cut that comes out is doesn't actually end up being their their yep. vision most of the time one way to look at it is, is it's kind of like disrespectful because they basically they get the director in the director directs the film and then essentially they're saying yeah you've directed it but actually we don't really want your pure vision we want it a little bit tweaked to make you know we want to, we don't want your exact vision um so we're going to make it different and then so that by the, the very nature and um, this is just the kind of idea i'm throwing out there but the very nature of a director then doing their own cut suggests that the, the studio didn't fully entrust them you know to deliver yeah there's that but also okay so they hire a director right to direct people and to direct the film essentially but they're also a business conglomerate right so that's that's their product, so they'll tweak the product to fit their brand. This is why coming in with the business facts here already. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I hate ben to be like this sh- guy slapping his shares down on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I got bills, <laughs> got bills, baby. Um, but like this, you know, so Disney would hire like indie directors, but they wouldn't give them the dire- uh, director's cut because a they they haven't exactly proven themselves. They've proven themselves on a Sundance or circuit, but not necessarily on a big stage. So. That's how they they would get like you know Ryan Coogler let's say right off off Rocky and sorry not Rocky Creed sorry um, and then so they look like, oh 
here's a film for you to make, but we already pre-visualized this film. Can you make this the way we have pre-visualized this? Um, Marvel has been doing this for, for years now. Um, and then, so yeah, so it's really just asking him to be like, for a director, not necessarily Brian Coogler, but for any director to to fulfill essentially their vision for what fits to, their brand. To turn up and hit record on the camera. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and he, even he doesn't do that. The cinematographer does that. <laughs> so, Isn't there another way of looking at it, which is it's not necessarily a struggle between the studio and the director. It's just that the director makes sort of two different versions of the movie for two different types of audience and sort of set, ma- makes one that's a kind of universally accessible one that will kind of you know be liked by everybody and then one is kind of for the super fans who will be willing to sit through four and a half hours if it's lord of the rings i suppose you're, yeah. you're talking in sense of this Jack schneider cut um the original intent behind that that was two films it was meant to be two films part one part two um that's so it would have been two two hour films also obviously given it's hbo max people uh you're sitting at on the couch you can pause play come back whenever you want so it's much more manageable to do that way there's no reason not to do that that way essentially i mean in in defining this we're never gonna we're never gonna land on like one single no we're never gonna land on one single definition because every situation is different but the the definition i could find online that i thought summed up well was a cut of the film that matches the original vision of the director I think what Sparrow said is interesting. Like, there are definitely scenarios where, you know, you're hired, but they've also got to think about the theatrical release and the audience and in shooting, if you come up with an idea that the sh- that maybe the studio or people financing the film don't agree with, then you might have to put that in your back pocket for later viewing at home or whatever. There is, like, the initial release of a film and then obviously you get the further release, like Louis saying. But what is interesting is there's some directors, I'm just going to throw it in at, at 16 minutes rec- um, recording time, Nolan, uh, <laughs> who has, you know, he doesn't have every film is his director's cut. He has the, you know, the ability to just yeah, but cut those films they, the way they, that he they wants. Go, they go with his vision. It doesn't sound like there's a kind of studio version and a Nolan but then, version. Then you kind of cross into this path of authorship, right? So like Quentin Tarantino, Nolan, can't even put uh, James. Ca- no, James, even James Cameron doesn't really. Maybe nowadays. Like, you know, James Cameron, I'd say, is one of the people who does do his own cuts. Yeah, he, he does do his own he's cuts. A sort of person, he's a sort. Of, he's an example of someone who seems to kind of have a loggerhead with the studio where yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. like respect his vision. So he'll do his like he's the kind of I'd say almost the classic example of like loggerheads with the studio on occasion it seems to me when his films are released he always does like an extended version of stuff he couldn't put into the theatrical release but that's yeah. not necessarily because the studio didn't like it or what well, i don't know when but. was the yeah, last time know. he I mean, did that though because like aliens and yeah and so aliens would be his like his second film anything i don't onwards. think avatar avatar didn't but, get a director did, I, don't the, I don't know if the abyss did don't know but i guess the point i'm saying is what when you're talking about cameron are you saying that it's because he he is a, a director known for just not agreeing with the studio or who, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. No, well, no, I, I, was just, I, no. I mean, you, you were talking about it, so yeah. yeah no, 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 sorry, yeah. No, no, I was just saying... I was saying Why are you asking it, me? But just back on Benis's point, you, you, that, did, that did kind of answer a question, because on the one hand, you get... There's a studio, and they say, we've kind of got this broad idea, and we'd like to get you in, Ryan Coogler or whoever, to kind of fulfill that vision. So that... I didn't know that. Then that, that does make a lot of sense. So then it's kind of like, this is what you signed up to. And then on the other hand... You get the kind of James Cameron Tarantino's, the you know the guys who like say, well, this is my vision, I want to do it, and that's why I'm, I'm maybe not Cameron, but I'm sure there was something that I read where you know they're basically by the very fact that he kind of released his own or an extended cut suggests that like he wasn't really happy. I'm, I'm, 
Yeah, I can't put out the figures, but I think there was... Because some directors release an extended cut, I don't know if it always means that it's because they weren't entrusted with a vision, but that some people just shoot so much stuff that, like, yeah. there's going to be scenes they have to cut out because, you know, they can't release a four-hour or three-hour film in the cinema. Here's a... For example, good good example of this is Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson shot so much more footage that in the extent... So when the films came out, the year after each film came out, there was an extended mm-hmm. edition, which we'll get into if that means director's cut or not. But essentially, he included forty up to 45 more minutes. I think it was, like, on average, 40 minutes per Lord of the Rings film, film extra... Yeah. And now those... And these were long yeah, films. and those versions are the ones that everyone says is their favourite. So it's like... See, you have, to, you have to think, like, that couldn't have been done without the studio thinking that it would be lucrative to release extended versions, right? Because the cost alone of shooting that much, you know, because those are, those are new scenes that go in lots of different directions. And, yeah, surely someone would have looked at it and been like, this is like a four and a half hour movie. But I think some of those scenes build on scenes that were already in the film. I guess it's tricky, isn't it? Because it's like, you can't, if you go and shoot something, you probably are going to end up cutting, you're going to end up cutting, you're going to end up shooting more than you probably use. It's just whether or not those extra scenes envisage the yeah. bigger, fuller picture but of I the mean, film. But I mean, speaking just with the, on the Lord of the Rings point, that there are whole story arcs that are just cut out. Mm. You know, it's not like... It's not like a 60 second long scene was a 90 second long scene and they trimmed it down. It was like literally new characters, characters who go on completely different adventures. And all like that. Gandalf buying a new house, that scene. <laughs> that got yeah, cut. yeah, exactly. Pippin's porn career. Um, but <laughs> it goes in loads of directions. And I think obviously that's because the, the raw material is a much, much, much longer series of books. And, you know, they, they were already trimming it down. You couldn't have done that screenplay and started to kind of storyboard it and everything without realizing that that, that was a four, four and a half hour long film. But yeah, yeah. And so they must have said, you know what, let's just get it all. And then this is bound to have a kind of cult following. So Fix so, it in the edit. Well, no, 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 as in not fix it in the edit, as in, as in they planned to re-release extended versions. I think they probably thought that that'll make us um, loads of money guys, so let's do it just a quick so just whilst we're on Lord of Rings uh, I, I will I've probably said this tons of times before but I have not seen the whole thing of Lord of Rings Maybe, I don't oh! get oh badass I don't Man. give a sure you want to publicly admit this if I'm keeping this in that's like you watch, you watch 60 films a week you couldn't make it Lord I don't of give Rings. a shit about Lord of Rings mainly because it's oh! Dungeons and Dragons oh um, that's like not watching Jurassic Park like, or something that's blasphemy uh, but look so I'm just, I've got the script up for Two Towers so hang on what, 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 why are you bringing this up just to shit on Lord of the Rings yeah uh, but <laughs> <laughs> so Lord of the Rings Two Towers right we just lost um, is that the yeah, first yeah, one all, the, the, all the listeners are just like yeah. the first, first one is the Fellowship of the Ring is the first one oh sorry so this is, must be the sequel Two Towers right was your, yeah, was your mind um, wiped recently the script is 222 <laughs> fucking pages 222 pages guys what is the yeah. script yeah. so you're saying that yeah you're, you're backing up what Louis said about how they probably overshot they, and they knew it was going to be a ridiculous you can't get Tolkien yeah. into like a 10 part Netflix 10 minute an episode series can't they you? are going to try I've also never read the books isn't that what Amazon is doing well they're doing a TV series but I doubt it's like 10, 10 minutes yeah that's been going on for forever <laughs> like now. a 6 episode mini series <laughs> <laughs> yeah 5 minute bite size <laughs> Tolkien my god you shall not are you still watching <laughs> But yeah, so I can imagine that when they wrote it, uh, they wrote it, they were like, well, this is going to, a lot of this is going to end up on a kind of cutting room floor. So maybe, but I mean, what I'm saying is that I, I, I think 
there was probably a conversation saying this is going to have a cult following this is going to be really popular there will be diehard fans who will buy the dvd and then buy the second dvd that we release which is the extended version but you're talking about it you, that sounds like you're talking like you're the studio from their perspective if you think yeah, about yeah, yeah but this all to bring it back to directors cuts i think i think yeah. peter jackson would have been the one that said i've got this grand vision for the film and I'm going to shoot this much stuff and the studio would then have to decide, do we want to capture all of this? Or It's not as if the studio, I, I mean, obviously we like, we don't know what happened, but what I'm saying is I think the fact that there is even this amount of extra footage suggests to me that Peter Jackson had a grand vision for this, that, that was satisfied yeah. in the original releases, but probably could be further expanded upon in the in these extended editions director's cuts whatever you want to call them yeah but i guess i guess the point i'm making though is that there is one narrative that you can imagine which is that a director wants to do this thing but then some studio boss evil person comes along and says no you've got to cut like 20 percent of it down and, and peter jackson says fuck okay well i guess i'll have to do a director's cut yeah. i'm saying no i think that conversation is a commercial one right at the beginning that says you know what peter shoot your four and a half hour long movie we're going to make shitloads of money on the right. director's yeah, cut yeah. of this thing um <laughs> but then the cinema version needs to be two and a half yeah, hours that's, that, that is and i think point. you know yeah. fair enough it, yeah there's like two options it could have been the kind of the on one hand the kind of director v studio rift or b what lou is saying is like yeah actually this was kind of the plan from the beginning, which, uh, which is interesting, actually. Yeah, that, and it does make sense with Lord of the Rings, to be honest, because, yeah, obviously they can't, they didn't just shoot all that stuff by accident. Like, and it does it does add a lot to it. It's telling that those extended versions are everyone's favourite versions of the film. You know, that's that's yeah. like, that just goes to show that it... Well, well here's a question, though. I think, it, I think that's quite revealing about the audiences they're made for. So I don't think they are everyone's favourite, but the people who watch them are kind of like the Lord of the Rings super fans. And for them, obviously, it's their favourite. So 90% of people who've seen Lord of the Rings probably haven't seen the extended version. But then the 10% who have are the ones who are like, oh, I love Lord of the Rings. Oh, I can't get I've got a question that I challenge that a little bit. I think I think most people who know Lord of the Rings don't know it in like, oh, that was okay. They're like, most people who are into it are generally quite into it. I think a lot, I think the, the generally accepted thing is that those extended versions are the better ones and I, I don't know if it's limited to like five percent of the viewership i think it does go to show that if you can entrust a director's vision and you're right on something like lord of the rings which is massive and is that property is that property that people are going to obsess over have you seen lord of the rings louis yeah so i i would i would just say as someone who's seen both kind of both versions and this is just me personally like the extended versions as far like as in what i've seen on dvd i find that the because uh, they basically just they've added in a, you know additional scenes and stuff um, but it, for me, it was pretty seamless as in, I couldn't tell you, oh, well that wasn't in the original mm. version. Like it's kind of, for me, it kind of just flows in. Yes. They're longer, obviously, but I couldn't, um, it's quite seamless in it for me. Yeah. Um, no, That's I'm, probably a compliment. I'm not, yeah, exactly. And I'm not like a diehard super fan, but I do like them. Um, so I'm not, where some people yeah. could probably like pick out what's been added in, but yeah, um, but yeah, so it's not. For me, it was never actually that noticeable. You notice when it's dark outside when you finish. This, this is turning yeah. into the Lord, the Lord of the Rings podcast, <laughs> and Ben has is Ben has is like turned off his camera and he's gone yeah. on mute. <laughs> <laughs> ben is just watching Lord of the Rings on a different screen. Couple of couple of things I wanted to mention: the very first director's cut supposedly was Charlie Chaplin's film The Gold Rush, which yeah, was released in 1925 and then was re-released as a director's cut in 1942. And apparently, because of the frame rate of the film that was changed in the director's cut, uh, twenty because it was faster when it was when it was reprojected, twenty three minutes of the film was actually like 
the tw- the film was shortened by 23 minutes so it's just like a weird fact that like because it, when it was re re kind of put through the frame rate changed that's so funny but a couple of other ones i wanted to mention like um apocalypse now redux which i think was when coppola went back and redid apocalypse now in, in 2001 which is considered to be like the best version of that film and the one that that any cinema would mostly show rather than showing the original cut and that i mean that's an awesome film that is probably one of the most famous examples of a director's cut blade runner which has like 50 different <laughs> cuts has like the final cut the yeah, director's cut the final director's cut they can't make up their mind <laughs> the first ad's cut <laughs> yeah exactly the, the runner's cut <laughs> He's like, let me get an edit in there shall i yeah. the catering staff's yeah. cut <laughs> um one of the reasons why I wanted to mention Blade Runner was I think it goes back to what Louis said about the relationship with the studio. I think that when the film first came out, it was it came out to generally lukewarm reviews, I think, and it had some... It was quite panned. Yeah, some studio yeah. interference, I believe. And then there was... Um, because there was this voiceover that Harrison Ford did, like a noir kind of voiceover that they were forced to do that he later admitted like he wasn't really putting that much effort into so (laughs) (laughs) Ridley Scott went back and did and did another cut and this was years later which is now considered to be because what what they did is they showed the kind of rough edit cut of it that got it got that got kind of leaked or shown to an audience and people are like this is amazing and this is quite different to the film that was released and then that that kind of gave confidence in the studio to give Ridley the kind of idea to go mm. back and revisit it. And now that cut that he revisited is is Blade Runner, as people know it. So isn't that the, the final cut that he did in two thousand one? Yeah, because there's like ul- the ultimate cut as well. Yeah, I mean, there's like <laughs> a thousand different cuts of this film. But what what I'm saying is is that to to entrust a director's vision in a film, it's tricky to put all of that on just the moment when it's released and we'll get on to yeah. heaven's gate which Sparrow and i spoke about earlier but like to put all that trust that when it gets released it's going to be favorably received and therefore you should have put faith in the director and their vision and given them final cut a lot of these films especially films from even films like spielberg when he went and recut um close encounters even though he did have the highly coveted like final cut when he was a well when he was huge in the 80s it's like these films get a second life when they come out on DVD and streaming. They start to get, you know, their own fan base going. So it's like, I don't know. I just think director's cuts aren't always the ones that get theatrically released. But when they do eventually get released, they often end up becoming the most loved version of the film, which begs the question, why yeah. not just release that in the first place? I think there's a really interesting point there around some the best version of something is not necessarily the easiest version of it to like right so when when for example i mean so in the tv world right the best tv series often take a while to get going so like the first couple of episodes maybe even the first like half of a season is often really really slow and you're not quite sure what you're following along to and it's because they're kind of laying those foundations to build up right so something like the sopranos takes a while to get going and then you're in breaking bad or breaking bad yeah i think that's kind of revealing about human nature a little bit that you know with with huge amounts of of choice the reason why a director's cut has the license to to go to town be longer maybe put more experimental themes in whatever they want to do with it is because they've kind of earned the respect with the first film which is maybe the one that's kind of hooked them in 
and it now gives an audience kind of the patience to give it a chance to actually see a better version of it. If Lord of the Rings was a four and a half hour long film, a lot of people just wouldn't go. Yes, because there's theatrical like pressures on getting a film out to an to as wide audience as possible. Well, yeah, and also it can't be reshown as many times. But you, as the audience member, you'd be like, God, I'm not gonna sit through a four and a half hour long film but if you've seen the two and a half hour long one and you really liked it you'd be like yeah go on i'll give it a chance and then the four and a half hour one might be even better theatrically you can't show a four because a four and a half and a half hour version of a film you can't show theatrically because you'll get like two viewings a day but you want as as many as possible so this man's coming back in with the business angle <laughs> God damn it yeah, yeah. But, he's like it's all about but, turnover you get the one in and then you get the other one it's out, all about it's it, be in, and out in and out butts in yeah. seats we want butts in seats um but i once i once sat in um the imax do those kind of uh they do them oh, with, the with imax lots of, oh um, yeah i missed that one but imax they they regularly do those kind of um you know you sit through the whole trilogy of something or whatever oh yeah yeah, yeah. Night. Did, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark night all nighter yeah. that was dope that was so good well, i once did lord of the rings all nighter oh. all of them extended editions wow <laughs> whoa that's a lot it was fucking horrible <laughs> yeah, I guess. hang on that's that's <laughs> like that's like 12 hours of filming isn't it? when did you leave yeah yeah, it was like 8pm to 8am. I'm surprised you're not still there. <laughs> oh, God. It feels like a hostage situation. <laughs> I, fell asleep. I fell asleep around like the end of the two towers. Jeez. Sparrow, Sparrow um, looks like he's been physically hurt hearing that. The uh, thing is, thing yeah. is I, I love Lord of the Rings. It's like people, it's like when you see it on YouTube, like people doing like a James Bond marathon and watching like every film. It's like, fine. I probably enjoy the first two. Like Dom. And then I'd oh, honestly yeah, finish like, oh. It. This is, yeah, but when they do it like back to back, yeah, like when you marathon. do it back to back, that is killer. That's like twenty three films. Horrible. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 I mean that's there's ridiculous. Like, Peter Jackson's like, I did not mean you to enjoy it this way. <laughs> <laughs> there's a thing on YouTube where people doing? doing the Bond marathon and it's on like time lapse. And, and it's, it's literally like twenty four hours. It's just oh, but like that's that's impressive, Louis. Yeah, well, I don't know about I don't know if impressive is the right word to be honest. <laughs> but um, yeah, I tell you what, there's there's nothing quite like the dreams that you have when you're asleep in the IMAX during a Lord of the Rings battle. <laughs> <laughs> you keep sort of like waking up and Frodo's just right in front like of a, you. It's like a legal, it's thing. like a legal psychedelic. Yeah. Like, yeah. Want to go get high? Um, Let's go watch all the extended editions and fall asleep. <laughs> I mean, like I, I hear you on the releasing, releasing one version and then getting people behind it. But a lot of these films that, that have become popular, the first version often wasn't that well received i mean we sparrow and i talked about heaven's gate which i should just set up for people who don't know it's directed by michael camino i think it came out in 19 in the 80s 80, early, early 80s yeah 1980 he directed the deer hunter which if i if uh sparrow can can talk about that more because it's one of his favorite well, just, films well yeah and it's just a it's just a brief backdrop to the heaven's gate thing so michael camino directed the deer hunter in 1978 which was his second or third film which was a huge critical and commercial success won loads of oscars blah 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 so essentially he was he would know but so the reason it's an important premise is he was mr big at that point he could have pretty much done any film he wanted and he chose to do heaven's gate um Sorry, just to interrupt. Heaven's Gate. Is this more Lord of the Rings hate that you're going to throw in? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Heaven's Gate, we don't mean the religious organization. but that's... No, we mean the 1980s <laughs> film that we've been heavily referencing during this conversation. I, I just typed in Heaven's Gate and the first thing comes up is Just religious. to be clear, we don't mean Lord of the Rings as well. Just to be clear, we don't mean the small shop in Illinois in the States that is called Heaven's Gate that's actually a convenience store. Basically, he he then directed, yeah, Sparrow's, so Sparrow set up Deer Hunter, then he directed directed this heaven's gate film which came out and it 
was really poorly received. It didn't make any money. It actually took down a studio <laughs> called United Artists with its failure. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's credited as being the film that ended the run of... The, the kind of run of like director-led films that people had control over mm-hmm. because he had so much control over the film and it was such a, a big failure in the eyes of critics and commercial success that then studios started going, okay, we actually need to start stepping in from this point. So it's, there's kind of, you could do a whole podcast on Heaven's Gate. It's really interesting. But the main thing is he it had a director's cut um, a year or two after it came out, which was then released and also didn't seem to, nudge the needle forward critically or commercially then it had a further director's cut in 2012 which kind of set people to reappraise the film and now it's considered to be a kind of great masterpiece of american cinema that maybe speaks more to like the changing tides people like some films are just ahead of their time but it's just really interesting that at the time though he was given so much control over the film and obviously the final cut he had control over and it just bombed so hard that it just like took down a studio with it took down like diff- took down this whole legacy of of hollywood so to speak supposedly I, I i haven't looked at it too much but camino must be sitting there thinking like great that people love this now this was always my intention this was always my cut it's just that his cut didn't hit people in the right way when it first came out i suppose timing plays a lot of things like like um with heaven's gate as well as much as much as with heaven's gate as much as with Zack snyder's thing right it's almost like a lust for the real version because if it's a, it becomes kind of mythical right so especially just kind of taking it back to Zack snyder's version right um for like three two years people believe that it doesn't exist like it's just a bunch of fandom shit going crazy right um and then uh more people start showing support for it and then Zack tweeted like a photo of like reels of um a film basically back to back like eight of them saying like yeah it does exist and that's when the, it gained even more popularity so yeah like if people start thinking of them like as kind of unicorns and whether they exist or not they kind of mature to kind of like enjoy the film more and appreciate the smaller stuff heaven's gate is like a five hour film five and a bit i think any other film goer would be like Fuck that, that's five hours, man. I want to get 24 in a day. Do you think there's a type of film or a genre of film that suits director's cuts better? Romantic comedies, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, have you seen the Love Actually director's cut? (laughs) For me, I mean, obviously it can be any film, but it feels like the ones that, that most benefit from it are the ones with the grandest vision. So I'm thinking like Blade Runner, it's quite epic. Apocalypse Now, Spectacle, Lord of the Rings. The spectacle, not ju- not just in the fact that the film is so visionary, but also that just it's re- it's so ambitious. It's like reaching for such a higher thing. I guess the sort of epic epic stories that cover a lot of ground and go- cover a lot of time. There's so much to see. Like George Lucas has gone back and and recut. Mm. There's a, there's a big thing with him and recutting the old Star Wars. It's like it's actually really hard to find a version of the original yeah, Star yeah, Wars yeah. film that, yeah. that is original because it's been tampered with so much that now if you watch it on any streaming service, there's like CGI storm CGI yeah. stormtroopers in the background when Luke is like really young, and it's like that's because he's gone back and constantly re-edited it. His special effects have got better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so weird. Yeah, I think people find that really annoying because they're like, I just want to see the version that came out when it did. But he is trying to fulfill this vision of no, all of these nine films or six films should all 
coexist in this world that couldn't exist when I made the film in the first place. See, that that raises a really interesting point about to what extent, like, to what a film isn't just a director's vision, right? A film is actually like how the director's vision was constrained by reality, and then the output is actually quite all the better for it sometimes. So I think it's a shame almost if you if you tinker with something that people already love in order to try and fulfill a vision that yeah that was you know because at, at the end of the day that's not what people love right it's not it wasn't the perfect ideal in your head it was the output it was the thing that you actually made i think the thing that's interesting in heaven's gate and heaven's gate example though that might be interesting to talk about is that vision it depends what you mean by right obviously didn't that film didn't make money and didn't seem to get favored reviews but yet it seemed Camino's vision of the film ultimately was something that is now well received so you ask yourself the question yeah. like was it just that type of film that was just too ahead of its time or should they have had more interference with it but ultimately the film that people now really like is his cut of the film so mm. kind of begs it's such, the question, a long, like, such a long time after the initial release as well it's like 30 years or directors should be able to go back and make a final director's cut of their film maybe that's yeah like obviously it's fine to create a new version, but I suppose the the thing that people love sometimes isn't necessarily just the pure vi- the pure vision of the director. It's actually what came out. So I suppose you just need to kind of separate them, right, and create a different cut, which is usually what they do. Which is why that Star Wars thing is quite funny and unusual. So lately, all I'm seeing uh, is like various directors get being like, "Oh yeah, no, there's a version I made that Sudo didn't fuck with, and so we didn't release it." For example, being David Ayer. What, to hype up their film? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. David Ayer about his Suicide Squad. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I made an amazing film, but, you know, it scared the shit out of execs, so they didn't release it, which may be the case. I don't know. It's like the Donald Trump argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also Margot Robbie, uh, the other day, I read that she was like, oh, yeah, there's a 20-hour-long version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino's version. (laughs) 20 hours 20 hours crazy. long it's like what did you shoot your feet that genuinely could be a mini series yeah <laughs> not even that mini but, yeah yeah so it's a, a maxi like... series <laughs> a maxi series yeah but yeah it's a bit like it can become an indulgence especially now that zach had his version kind of realized i i think the, yeah. zach, the zach Snyder situation is really interesting yeah but it's so sure. not representative of what generally happens with director's cuts because it's he a... was given so much money to go back and revisit a film that he wasn't able to finish because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, basically, he he was directing the film, and then for family reasons, for personal reasons, he had to leave the film midway through. So Joss Whedon took over, and then so therefore it wasn't really had he not had this family issue, he would have it would have kind of well we'll never know, but it, that may have been his cut as in the first version of the film. Yes, but it was also followed on by Batman vs Superman that had a very controversial Ultimate release thing or, or, as well. Right, it, 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 that already had a co- so it was almost like yes, he had released a film that was purely his vision that had been fa- that had mixed reviews. So you never know what could have happened with this cut had he carried on with it. But yes, and, that is a good point to mention. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know because like just to speak up more on that controversy. Uh, the studio, Warner Bros, they were like, oh, um, Zach picked Joss Whedon as his re- replacement. Well, when apparently that never happened. Like, if he did, then maybe, yeah, that would have been his cut, right? But is that literally just them looking at the Last Avengers film being like, that was good. We need that. Get that. Get the guy that did that. So it's a bit more of a business, kind of business decision than anything else. 
I've got a question to you guys, which might might be for people that don't really think about director's cuts at all. When you watch a film, do you ever consider that it's not a director's cut? That actually, it may well have been a, it may well have been a studio theatrical release of the film, and there may even be another cut of the film that you're not even watching that could be a. Di- I mean, does that ever occur to people? Because I, I just think that's quite interesting. People just assume whoever directed this had. It's well, their vision and full it, it, final cut of the film, but a film is such so much more collaborative than just the director's vision, anyway. But I'm just curious. I generally thought when Justice League came out, the first 2017 one, I generally thought that this this was the written script per se. So not Zach's version, sure, but it was followed as the script was written by Chris right. Terrio. Um, and I was. But you knew watching that that it wasn't it wasn't fully one director's vision anyway. Yeah, no, because A, if if you have seen it, you will know when they switch, when there's like more hot, more lighthearted shit comes in and stuff, which is like, yeah, it just falls out of favor with the film itself and and with uh, the previous release of uh, Batman and Superman. So yeah, watching that, I was like, this might be the final written script of the film, sure, but it just doesn't feel like the director's vision. Because mind you, so Joss Whedon directed that film, right? But Zack Snyder was given the directed credit, directed by credit. So it's a bit like, well, but I'll slap somebody else's name on it. So it's a bit sneaky. What I mean is when you watch, not just Justice League, but when you watch any film, do you ever think about oh, what the cut is? Hard to say, man. Yeah, I think you can, I think in certain films you can see the hand of the director and the hand of the studio. And with some films you can tell which hand is kind of in control. Like if you watch The Irishman, you're like, yeah, well, this is obviously just a director's film through and through. Okay, and yeah. The studio were like, make what you want to make. Whereas I don't know something like Love Actually, <laughs> we keep bashing Love Actually. I think you can kind of tell it's crafted for commercial success in quite a in a very clever but perhaps a fairly cynical way. But this is what I was saying earlier, and this is where I think it's because I think it's too often portrayed as like one versus the other as though they're like like you've got this creative genius who's the director and then there's some evil producer from the studio comes along as like an exec saying no you can't do that and I think it's probably usually much more collaborative than that and there's an agreement up front as to whether this is a kind of commercial movie versus a kind of artistic vision of a movie Alien 3 which is a film we have done would be an interesting Mm. talking point here because Ben Ass I think saw the director's cut of it and we didn't but but as I ultimate cut as I understand vastly different movie to what we all vastly saw. better because i've because i've seen those both both versions so way back when i watched alien 3 because i was doing the marathon and i was like fuck it i'll watch it and i couldn't i couldn't get the ultimate edition not because i couldn't get it i just didn't know it was out there so i just watched that version kind of like theatrical and it was okay but yeah watching it again it was vastly different and vastly better um just much more coherent and you could tell that there was a big vision behind it as opposed to kind of like do uh an aliens film by the numbers kind of thing where it's just like you know whatever obviously vastly rewritten quick question though i did want to ask you guys because you guys seen lord of rings when you first watched it if you can remember it when you first watched it did you feel like there was a director's cut of it just to go back to dumb's point In, in fairness when I watched it, it was at the cinema and I was a lot younger. So I yeah, didn't yeah, give no, any I appreciate to like that. directors yeah. or anything like that. So, 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 at, so I get at that point, then, then just no, because I didn't give any thought to anything film related. But Were you just kind of disappointed that like, oh, some story arcs aren't there maybe or something like that? Well, that's the thing. I'm not a proper, I haven't read the books. I'm a, I'm a cheat. No, me neither. Um, so. <laughs> but the, um... I don't think anyone would watch Lord of the Rings for the first time and think there's stuff missing because they're fucking long. Oh, right? this is so, like a fucking like, the, the, the third Lord of the Rings, the director's cut is like four and a half hours. 
the original is like three and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't you don't watch it thinking, God, there's like an hour missing here. <laughs> if, you, if you have, if you have, I think if you have read the books, though, there is not like not like oh God, we're we're completely missing out. But like for example, so this is I think I've mentioned this before, but my dad really doesn't have an interest in most films but he loves star wars and he loves lord of the rings and he's read the lord of the rings books and one of the things in the films is and without going into detail in the lord of the rings at the end when they go back to the shire in the books there's a whole another fight where they have to kind of save the shire to get back. and that's not yeah. in the films at all and he wasn't like oh god like that was awful but he was just like oh they kind of there was a whole bit which was missed which you don't understand why i i read the books after watching the films and i was like oh good this is like an extra <laughs> an extra bit of story that i didn't know from <laughs> yeah you would definitely watch lord of the rings if you've read the books being aware that there's a lot more content that they could have made a film out of but i don't think you would watch the original one being like Ah, oh, these these narrative arcs aren't aren't complete, and these stories aren't satisfying, and there's obviously an hour an hour's worth of content missing. So I think it's more. I I do feel like with the, the Lord of the Rings thing, it's more kind of like for people who are kind of a little obsessed with it, which is which is a lot of people, and like no judgment, myself probably included. It's like have even more of this thing that you love rather than we're filling the holes of the original fair enough just going back on your um on what you were saying dom the um you know what when you watch a film does it feel like a director's cut this is kind of a slightly weird one but there, there is one director where i watch it and i'm like i'm kind of amazed that that that, that this isn't a director's cut and that is terence malick so his films are so like they just don't feel like the sort of thing that you'd release in the cinema and like your average joe would go and watch if they feel like a, a specific director's cut like um, so I'm I'm with that. It's kind of almost the opposite. I'm kind of surprised that there isn't like a more dulled down version for the cinema. But but then and then it, but on the other hand, in a sense, it's the reason that his films are so distinct is because it has his stamp all over them. So if you took that element out of it, then they kind of wouldn't, wouldn't I, really be what they are. I would also say that okay, so let's say a studio isn't happy with a Terrence Malick film, which is fine, obviously. Uh, but I don't think they would know what the fuck to do with it. I was about to say that as <laughs> like, well. I, I feel so like so his, his, that's yeah. so his vision. Yeah. You need him to drive this shit because you won't know where the fuck you are. What you're doing with but it? That, but yeah. that goes back. That just goes back to saying not all directors have a strong vision or a big vision. So he's an auteur. I'd say he's an yeah, auteur. If that. But that that kind of auteur theory is becoming less and less like yeah. it's becoming less and less kind of. What do you mean by auteur? Someone has complete and utter control of every facet of the film that that realizes the exact vision in their head. Like right, auteur right. theory is like you know you watch it like it's like you were just saying you watch a Terence Malick film. You know it's Terence. It's mm. it's Terence Malick. It, There's no way Malick. that it it's yeah. no way that it's like another director but not every director is like that so it's almost like not every director could have a director's cut in a way because it's like is there even more info there to make another cut out of I, i don't know also there's this whole other thing of like special edition final cut director's cut theatrical cut the uncut version which is another thing like the extended cut the ultimate cut it's like and james cameron famously hates the the word director's cut for whatever reason so he starts using like special edition and all these other phrases right. ultimately it just means there's another cut of the film yeah. ultimately because yeah. you also get the editing which, which i think is i i think i'm sort of with him on that actually, <laughs> ben has cause... coming with the business facts again <laughs> yeah exactly ben has dropping the business i mean there, obviously there's <laughs> a monetary think... thing behind it but it is to fulfill the bigger it's to fulfill the bigger vision of what someone had for a film that couldn't be fulfilled by the theatrical cut <laughs> okay so this is this sure. is sure <laughs> Almost an hour in, we're getting to it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Like, what is the job of a director? That I mean, I'm not even. It's not a leading question. It's an open one. Is it to turn the movie into a commercial success? Is it to make a movie that people will it's like? It's to bring a vision to a film. Um, well, that's quite. But then that's quite an. In, that's quite a kind of self. Because that implies that really all you're doing is making the film that you want to make. Well, guys, you're not I think really you're forgetting considering your audience. One you're not considering aspect though. Um, a lot of these things happen. So, for example. There's a writer, right, who writes the script. A studio reads it, they like it, they get a director on board who they like, firstly, and who hopefully likes the material, and who think that his their vision style and stuff will uh, make this script a success. Um, the, so for someone like James Cameron, Nolan, Tarantino, those guys usually are writer-directors. Yeah, that's, a, that's interesting, yeah. So again, that's complete vision. Whereas, you know, uh, Fincher, for example, famously doesn't write his own scripts. Mostly neither does Spielberg. I think he's only only, only written yeah. one script he's directed, which was Close Encounters. Yeah, fair enough. And he got a special edition on that one. Um, so again, that complete vision, it's only 50% of the film. Because half of that is the writer who first envisioned the film in his head. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's again, oh yes, absolutely. I'm sorry, <laughs> apologize. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's when you say director's cut, it's always like, is I is it that, really yeah. director's cut? Just being like uh, self indulgent. Uh, some directors can be self indulgent. And I think also, and then this 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 comes back to the point about we were sort of making around Star Wars about constraint being kind of part of the process and sometimes the best things are the result of people keeping each other in check rather than yeah. giving yeah, yeah, yeah. absolute power to one person to execute their vision. But the Star Wars thing, though, is a unique one because George Lucas did have a vision that couldn't be achieved by the technology of the time. So that explains why he would go back. I can understand why he would go back. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can, I can understand why he would go back and go, now technology is here, I can then add in things to my previous films that wasn't available when I did it to fulfill that original vision I had. So, so I, I can totally see why he, George Lucas, wants to do that. My point is that people didn't fall in love with George Lucas's pure vision. They fell in love with the output. They fell in love with, mm. with what, what was made. And yeah. I think and I think that, that says a lot well, about... That is his vision, isn't it? The like? art of filmmaking. Like, the art... Well, no, no. no. Like, if it's he... his vision restrained by reality. He came up with this story of Star Wars. He had a vision yeah. for the film... Yes, obviously, yeah. in making it, his vision came out, but it did it did start somewhere. It did start with. It started with his vision. Yeah, I mean, like, there's this whole. Uh, I don't. I'm showing my. Kind I'm of, showing my age. Um, <laughs> uh, my lack of knowledge in in literature, but I mean, so so I I know that for people who did English degrees, shout out. There's this whole idea of reading against the writer, and that's this idea that when you're trying to interpret literature or interpret a story, a book, um. You don't just think about what the writer's trying to get across. You interpret what actually is there in front of you, like what's actually on the text. And as part of that, you have to consider things that are outside of the writer's control. So they might have evoked something in culture that actually they had had no place in their mind to start with. And I think that's a very grand way in to talking about how if someone loves a film, you don't necessarily have to assume that what they love is only the director's yes, vision yes definitely. they might love the acting or they might love the sound design or in fact they might love the fact that there are certain parts of it where the director's vision was constrained like it was somebody else's decision saying no don't do that do this and so it's totally fine for directors to do a director's cut for themselves 
but the film is not necessarily the better for it. Yeah, that's true. I I do agree with that. Obviously, there's all these there's all these other people that come in and bring to life the film in ways that, and that even maybe is a reason why people go back and make another cut. I think even in Blade mm. Runner's example, I think Harrison Ford was very much with Ridley saying, "Let's go back and revisit the cut and revisit the film because if they if they had an amazing sequence that was Harrison Ford's idea and he acted the shit out of it and they wanted to put it in the film but it wasn't able to be put in that isn't just say mm. the director's decision that's also the actor's decision or it's the costume mm. designer's mm. Yeah. idea to have created this whole scene that that got cut out so yeah I, I think when you start going into it through all the other roles of filmmaking it's like yeah there's so much so many more people's work and ideas that are not being shown in one cut and that mm. might be explored in, in another cut. This is another parallel with theatre, which um, like I, I, I've worked with a few kind of obviously amateur directors as an actor before and actually as a producer as well. Like like Sam Mendes, that up and coming <laughs> like director. Sam, like Mendes, Spielberg, that lot. <laughs> they'll be big, they'll but, be huge but soon. You get two different, really broadly speaking, you get two different types of director who go into a project. One type really knows exactly what they want, to want the stage to look like, want the acting to be. And their direction to actors is always like, do it like this. You know, this is the way I kind of want you to do this because that's what I've seen in my head. The other type goes into a production very freely saying, I have no idea what this is going to look like. I just kind of want to be at the helm. And so I will cast someone who will bring an interpretation to that role, you know, shoot ideas around with a set designer and figure out what that becomes. And the end product is actually no way a reflection what they kind of expected it would be at the start. And I don't think one of those is valid or one of them isn't. They're both perfectly valid. But it's an interesting point to sort of say, you know, the director's vision isn't the be all and end all of a great film. I guess in theatre, you don't really get director's cuts you just get the cut <laughs> you, <laughs> you get what you're giving bro <laughs> it's yeah. very much the director's cut from the beginning there is there is a weird there is a slightly odd po- like point because i just to take a few things that people have said if, if you're someone like nolan or tarantino who writes and directs the film and then the studio says well we need to kind of chop it down for various reasons i can then understand why that tarantino or the like would be like yeah but now i want to have my own cut to fulfill my sort of vi- vision as a but like what Benis was saying, when there's a kind of script written by someone else or whatever, then they they hire someone like Zack Snyder or whatever in to film that film, and then they say, "But I still want to make my own my own vision." It's, that is is slightly more. I don't know. I don't really know where what to make of it because it's kind of like they were kind of bought on to do a sort of job, but they're still saying, "I want to do it." My I don't know. It's a bit it's a bit more confusing. I guess my my opinion of it is that it's totally fine for them to do it, but I wouldn't always necessarily expect that it's better as a result I'm sorry what are you, sometimes... when you say them you're talking about directors making their own cut yeah yeah right like any director like fair enough like go ahead and make your your kind of autonomous version of it who says that's better yeah it was also if there's a I, do, I don't want to be businessman but it also is if there's a market a bit because like if if as we discussed like nolan sounds it sounds like he has final cuts so there is no director's cut of his films that is the cut you see in this in the cinema and right, yeah. on dvd but then you know, you get people like, I, I don't know who else there is, but say James Cameron we talked about, there's there's obviously a massive audience for these other cuts. It's not as if he's yeah. just cutting them to keep on his own laptop <laughs> and like show and like show himself. Although they, people do do that. They do, they do. But yeah, I'm sure. I think, I think. In even, advertising people do. Zack Snyder was like that. He made this cut and left it on his laptop. He took it as a memento, apparently. 
he took it as a memento to show to friends because uh, it had a bunch of unfinished effects and stuff. So there's a vanity project like George Lucas going back to that to that one fucking film that made him. That's that's one thing I'll say about Lucas. <laughs> I think he's going back to fulfill he's the bigger vision. He's going back to he the, big, the bigger d- vision, though. That's, that's make a new film. About to, like, blast down your Just door, make no, a new I know, film, but man. <laughs> It's because because he had this vision that that can. Now, I, I'm not saying I agree that I find it odd when you watch the original Star Wars and there's like a CGI stormtrooper in the background. It t- really takes you out of the film. It's weird. But. Have, you, have you guys heard about the Han Solo thing in um that they keep changing in the Star Wars cast? That is a that is a really really good thing to bring up. This is so oh, yeah. this is so stupid. It's like some ethics. It's an alien. Well, yeah. I mean, but let, let's yeah, get yeah, over yeah. that barrier because the whole film is about alien. Oh, it seemed from what I saw, it's like, oh my god, it's like Han Solo shot first, and that's wrong, so we need to change yeah. it. Well, okay, so for people shoot, that like, for people that don't know, it's in the it's in the first Star Wars, isn't it? It's it's yeah, where yeah. it's where Quite Han Solo on. Han Solo's in a in a bar, and in the original cut of the film, this this other character called Greedo shoots first, and then therefore because Han, Han Solo, Solo shoot, shoots, back. shoots back, it's like in defense. But there was another cut of the film, and I don't know if this was, I don't know who did this cut. It may well have been George Lucas, but there is another cut where it looks as though Han shoots Han first, which to, which yeah. seems to suggest that he's more of a killer than a like a good guy. So people are saying it changes he's his whole arc. Bounty hunter. It changes whole arc yeah. of his. He does it. He's a bounty hunter. That's though. What the he, he'll was. do what it needs to be done. That's what, yeah, and I agree. It's just part. For I think it's part sake, of the character. Nerds, but, get over it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that. But that that go. It goes to show like what what director's cuts can do. For example, I don't know if you guys know Donnie Darko, directed by Richard Kelly. That film came out and it had a a particular cut that went through the studio and obviously it was loved. Uh, it went down as a cult classic film. Supposedly, Richard Kelly went back and did a director's cut, which explained more of the kind of mythical aspects of the film that weren't explained in the original cut and people don't prefer it because things are explained yeah it's no. better when in the original cut That's good. That's when things are not and so it, 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 what i like about that example is it takes it away from yeah, who is better as a director and who is better as a studio it just takes it into like what is the best version of the film and yeah. necessarily also, just cutting a new version doesn't mean it's going to be an infinitely be- better movie i think that's movie. misunderstood as well in in terms of maybe directors uh, just needing to explain everything. You don't need to explain everything. Just develop enough so that people can make their own interpretations. If you explain everything, then, then it's kind of stupid. For example, can you imagine a studio cut of Tenet? What would that look like? Probably like like the video that Louis sent us this morning. Well, this is an interesting. It's an interesting thing you bring up because it's like you're making yourself so irreplaceable that no one can possibly make another cut of your film. Yeah, you know there is there is a kind of strange little curveball I'd like to it's just come to mind. There there is actually one alternative cut of a Nolan film. Have you guys all seen Memento? I don't know. I don't know what movie that is. I what, can't who, remember. That? Is yeah, that yeah, Prestige? No, no. Oh. On, on the on the on the DVD version, there's a special feature where you can watch Memento in order. Like you just watch it in time order. Oh yeah, like, we um, talked about this before. That's the studio. I don't cut. know if that really counts as another cut, but it's like it's on there. I, I think suppose, that's I more of a kind of it's uh, a memento of memento, isn't it? It's not necessarily a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a director's cut. <laughs> It's a just chrono- chronological order, isn't it? The studio made Nolan put it in this really cool order that the film's known for. He actually just wanted it in direct <laughs> he order. Wanted it in normal film. Actually, talking about um, new cuts, Godfather Three is get just has a new cut. Yeah, from from Coppola. Oh uh, yeah. And um, so that and that's a lot of that is around the fact that he didn't get the right cut when it came out. It got criticised by people. So I, I do believe in 
and sorry to bang Second on. Chance. Sorry to bang on about this, but I I do believe that the V word. F- <laughs> what's the V word? Vision. But yeah. No. <laughs> well. Yes. I, obviously, I think out of everyone on this podcast, I'm going to always be the one that 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 pulls the vision, the vision, the vision aspect. But I do believe that a film, a film's like people talk about film as a living organism. Obviously, that sounds mm. pretentious, but take that as you will. But what I think it shows is that the, a film is more than the release date, and it's more than just the opening weekend or the or the month or two that it's in cinemas. Things that do warrant a, a relook can get recut, can get closer to the vision of what was originally asked, originally kind of shot for, and I do think they can have a further life. And that's just shown by the fact that when things come out on DVD and VHS, people rewatch things like a thousand times. So giving people more context to stuff. But basically my 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 point is I do I do think that there is there is reason to revisit stuff in certain scenarios. Certainly if a director feels that their original cut was never or the theatrical cut I suppose was never in exactly the vision they had, I do think there is a there is a reason then to go back and do it. And I, you know, you need money think, to do yeah. this as well. It's not like yeah. everyone can just go back and do a cut. Like you need cash to. Sometimes I you need seventy million dollars. Likes the, Sometimes the historian in me just what just like what wants there to be some like a clear cut difference between versions rather than tinkering with the original. As in, there needs to well in my in my in my mind there needs to be a kind of. Um, there needs to be some integrity around just keeping the original the way it was and then re-releasing. I think the that there one. is though. I think no, but what, what? I don't know why I got angry about it. But I sort of like when you when you're telling me like no one can find the original Star Wars because right. they're always yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. tinkering <laughs> with the background. It's like well, no, no, no. You know, people if people really love it and they did fall in love with it in the seventies, then I agree. I know. think in the Star Wars scenario, the original film should just be kept as what it is. But I think when yeah. when Blade Runner, for example, you can find. The, the theatrical version of it and it's got a whole voice noir voiceover with with harrison ford yeah. in it and they right. and obviously blade runner now doesn't have voiceover at all it's like a completely yeah. different experience you want to say like you know just to go back a bit of on alien 3 right the ultimate edition still isn't finch's edition or anything it's just it's just based on the notes he kind of gave in the in the editing room so just kind of like, is the, that is the cut he he blessed so to speak, right? Yeah, I, I suppose as much of a blessing as he'll ever give to that fucking film. Um, but still, it's just like sometimes even the director's kind of vision, because I suppose the ultimate edition is his vision, but because, you know, even that vision could not save that film. Because although it's better, it's still, you know, not, not great. Well, that, that it does lead into a question I've got for everyone, and we haven't mentioned Netflix and streaming, so this is the time I'm going to do it, is that um, generally director's cuts seem, to me, they seem to exist because there is a pressure for a theatrical cut, and therefore that means that the film is being shown in cinemas, right? Yep. But with the rise of streaming, Netflix, Amazon, all HBO this, Max. We always, HBO Max, there isn't a, an allotted limit, right, on time because you can put something on netflix and it can be three hours or two hours and that's yeah. that's that the irishman is a great example of that like louis said earlier you watch <laughs> it and you go that is that is martin scorsese's vision and that Cinema. didn't agree with with some people some people some people mm. came out and said actually there should have been notes to have cut it down but really mm. when you put something on on I, i'm one of them when you put something on on netflix there isn't that limit so my question is do we think director's cuts what purpose do they serve when you think about streaming and things that don't have a necessarily a time limit or even a specific mm. audience? Netflix and you know, Amazon and stuff. I feel like they do trust filmmakers more um, to bring the said vision. 
good example here is Netflix just bought what Knives Out two and three rights. Yeah, for half, almost half a bill billion, right? So that was a big they, investment in a director's. They vision. haven't seen a script. <laughs> So, so for people that yeah people that don't know Netflix Knives Out two and three the rights to 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 make it I don't know if this million. includes does that include production then as far as I, as far as I've found out it's Wait, just what? rights yeah four hundred and fifty million to make the right to have the rights for Knives Out two and three which is a massive who owns them well Ryan Johnson who directed it and whoever else produced it um, and or was involved AMC, in the um no MCR Media Capital. But yeah. the point is, that's a massive entrustment Ridiculous. in a director's vision. Vision, yeah. That's just straight up vision. Based on a film they saw, like, one... They still haven't seen, like, the first one, right? So so I, I would be very surprised if, they, when they made that film, that Netflix would come out and say, oh, this isn't... This is our cut of the film. Yeah. And no, he so, will get his own cut later. You know, that that to me is like an entrustment that whatever cut whatever cut of Knives Out Two and Three comes out is just the cut of the film. Yeah. Exactly. And I feel like that's what, what these streaming places give to directors is that um you know, kind of like the trust to to fulfill their visions and stuff. And to be honest, if they don't like it, what they'll do is they'll cancel it. Point being is Mind Hunter, right? David Finch. They just cancel that. They're like, fuck it, we're not doing season three, season two, whatever, season four, whatever it was. Season three, yeah. Yeah, so so they have that kind of like um, freedom to do that. You know, it's not United Artists, they won't sink down with one bad movie. Because let's face it, if they did, they would have gone down a long time ago. Yeah, they're spreading, yeah, streaming, you can kind of spread your chips across different... But I think it's sure, we won't know what... Yeah, we'll see what happens. But I think you're, yeah, the cinema thing does. If if something doesn't, if something can go straight to streaming, then I would think there will be more kind of not directors. Well, I don't, you know, I don't, they they just go with the director's original vision, and if that means it's longer, then fine. I I would think because it's the, it's really the cinema where it's like we need to make it a bit shorter for cinema audiences. Um, to, or longer? To, yeah, I don't know. Or uh, longer? Sometimes sometimes it's it's actually just like, can we fill this runtime a little bit more? So does right, that yeah. explain does that explain why directors like Fincher and Scorsese are going to streaming because there are no limits on your well no supposed mank again mank is a good is a good uh uh a good film to bring up right so that anyone seen mank i haven't seen it yet not yet you guys pay quite surprised spyro's not seen it you guys pay for subscription what the hell (laughs) what do you watch on there (laughs) Um, hey the money the money's gone up things are the bennies are tight in my household (laughs) you've got to choose choose what i when i turn my tv on to what i pay for But that's a film of just like complete vision visionary, which is David Fincher. Um, obviously, the scripts are written by his dad and stuff. But like, I do not see that film being like taken by either Lionsgate or Warner Bros. or Sony or whatever, because it is that indulgent. I understand that that sometimes can be a bad thing, but actually, in the case of like Terrence Malick, in case of Mank, it just serves the film far better. There is no other version of this film. He's he's post Alien Three is actually pretty well known for not having another cut. Like that's his cut, right? And that that became probably a big thing for him, which I which I which I assume any director wants. But it'd be interesting to see directors that come up on streaming platforms whether or not they have the same limitations on cuts and whether or not even. I I just don't think every film warrants a director's cut. It it, it really just no. depends on what type of film it is and. Mm. It is the ones with grander vision. Big grand vision combined with like a Netflix-only release. I seriously doubt that there will be like a... In fact, I can't even think of an example where there's like a Netflix version 
and then there's a director's yeah. version of that net of that film. That I don't think that would that will quite ever not ever. I don't want to say ever. So maybe director's the, cuts will die out. Maybe why, as these things go to streaming, director's cuts will just cease to exist. But it begs the question, why Why is it that a, a, a studio that putting films in the cinema, why would they be restrictive, whereas Netflix because or Amazon Because they wouldn't? want to appeal to a, as wide audience as they can. But so does Netflix and Amazon. No. Yeah, but they also no, no, don't no, no, have to worry. It's Netflix different. doesn't have to worry about releasing it in a cinema. Yeah. Whereas um, a normal, a normal the, studio will It'll be it on the their platform, whereas a, a theatrical release gets a window of like three months well, that was before COVID. Um, so they want as many viewings of that film, so as many buzz and sees of that film. Right, so it's not about popularity. It's not about what people will be up for watching. It's about... No, it's dollar bills, baby. Well, yeah, but that... <laughs> I don't think but it I... can be... I don't think it can be defined into one... You know, every studio approaches it saying we want as many runs of the film by shortening the film as possible. I don't, I don't right. know if you can define it that clearly. But no, I guess but also what's, your, cinemas, what's your question? Yeah, so my question is that I think, as well as kind of just turn around, like literally the number of times you can show it in a cinema, <laughs> yeah, surely the, part of the, part the, of the bennies, reason... Get the bennies the, the, rolling. The, the, the bennies tight, the tight <laughs> yeah. bennies. Part of the reason is surely that a studio is thinking about what is palatable to an audience, as in what they're going to like, versus what is technically the better film, right? You with Hard me? to say. Yes. So, I mean, so it, they, go, they, go for, you, yeah. they go for popularity as well as quality. Despite right? so the like, fact that maybe they are the same thing in some cases. Well, maybe maybe in the very, very long term, right? Standing the test of time. Yeah. But if you're thinking kind of what's going to be liked and watched by millions and millions and millions, usually you sort of think it's got to be easy. It's got to hook you from the start. It's got to be a contain. So my point is that... If you're planning something to be a commercial success, then those are the constraints you put on a director. And surely Netflix and Amazon need to think about those constraints too, right? They need to say, yeah, 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 I'd love to give you free reign to make a four and a half hour long movie that doesn't really get going for the first hour. But (laughs) (laughs) actually, no, we are trying to get lots of people to watch this and like it. So we are going to put some constraints on it. To add to, just because I know what you're, you're referring to Irishman, right? Um, Irishman hat brings a lot of prestige to Netflix. A, it's uh, it's going to be nom- case, nominated. It's Scorsese. Scorsese is going to be nominated, much like Roma was. Uh, they knew they were going to be nominated. It certifies them as a studio. No, I know. I I, I don't. I wasn't talking about because because I think yeah, you're right. The Irishman's a special case because it's like the biggest film of the year, and it's Scorsese, and you just do whatever. Let him do whatever he wants. Right? He's an so old man. It, Let him do whatever he wants. Your... Well, no, but you're right. So that it, so that it gives credibility to the platform. But I'm saying more broadly, if if this whole pattern about you know our directors going to have more freedom because their films are going to Netflix and Amazon versus if they're going out in cinemas. What I'm saying though is that because um, we were talking about will there still be a need for directors' cuts in the world of Amazon and Netflix being the biggest quote-unquote yeah, 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 yeah. And my point is they probably will, right, still need to be director's cut. There will still be a desire for director's cuts because the tension, the fundamental tension between commercial success and artistic success will still exist. Yeah, right? yeah I agree Because a Netflix executive is still going to say, your artistic vision is secondary to me. Then right? they won't work. For commercial them. success yeah. for this film is primary. Yeah, yeah, no. And a director will say the opposite. Uh, I agree with that. And uh, directors and visionaries will always fight to be like, well, if you're hiring me, then there's, you know, you, there's a reason you're hiring me. Like, um, you want my vision of this film, blah, blah, before your money bills come rolling in. Um, but as we were saying this, I just remember this film, little film called Blade Runner 2049, right? Uh, anybody seen it? No? Fair enough. I actually haven't. 
but again, much like uh, much like the original Blade Runner, it essentially kind of tanked uh, or was uh, due to, you know, kind of no restraints on the director or whatever, but kind of just giving like, yo, do, just do this thing for us. Okay. And there's no, there's, there's no, it's been four years now to the date. Uh, I don't know if it's to the day, but I think it's four years now since the film was released. And there's no mention of director's cut. Dennis mm. has moved on. He's given our free range. I think it was his cut, though. That's the, Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Mm. So I, Okay, the tricky thing is, it's tricky because I think that film's a masterpiece. Yeah, I think same. it did one thing. I, I, I think it did the impossible, which is it sequeled to an already loved film and, mm. and in some cases might have superseded it. But I would say better, yeah, I would say better did. Was it going to be a massive success when it was a sequel to a 1980s film that actually is probably more cult than people un- people take credit for? It's not like everyone knew what Blade Runner was mm. necessarily. Like the large, I'm talking about the large audience. Yeah, yeah, get that. Yeah, so yeah. It, like, yeah, it's it's really tricky. Just, just to go back on what Lou was saying, Netflix or studio, you still need a vision. You still need a vision of a, of a film, yeah. right? And you still yeah. you still need to achieve that. Whether or not there's less business constraints with Netflix, because if Martin Scorsese's film tanks on Netflix, they also have a thousand, hundred thousand other hours of content that they probably <laughs> make money from. That's like true. Miss Australia 2021 probably has a bigger viewership than like these big the Irish films. Man. Yeah, so I don't even know if that's, <laughs> that's a series. Hello, I've made it up. If you, wanna, if you want to make that, want to license that idea, I'll, I'll, we can talk. But, <laughs> that was definitely true. Email. Yeah. But, the, but you know, a studio might release like 20 films a year and so like, and that's all they have. So they probably yeah. really do need to make sure that they are commercial successes. But I think there is going to be a slight movement between getting notes and not getting notes i don't know if it's always best that you just don't give anyone any notes and you just let them go with it no i'm not using any film as an example Mm. to to pick that up but i do think people coming in and going hey what if you trim this or what if you did this and throwing more ideas around that's interesting it's when it's mandated it's when it's like it can't be violent but you've you've hired a director that is a violent director then of course there's going to be a director's cut out of that because whoever gets released they're going to be like well this isn't violent enough for me because it raises that that raises a really interesting point about ben also like this right because it's from a business point of view like (laughs) i don't know how how until i become a business guy because your, your your nickname is now Benny's a type. You're Mr. Um, but I think the, the, the idea, so the you have this idea of loss leaders, right? We have it in advertising, right? So if you've got a, if you've got twenty clients, yeah, for five of them, if they're the really famous ones, like if you've got BMW and Coca Cola and McDonald's or whatever, right. you make a loss on them because it kind of still brings other clients that pay you a lot of money into the building because it gives you the credibility. Okay, and I guess. To Dom's point, I think you're right, possibly, that Amazon and Netflix have less pressure to make a commercial success of their of their big creative. Maybe, I don't know. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Because they make they, they get their profit from, you know, real housewives of Milton Keynes. We might have cracked their business plan, yeah. <laughs> potentially. Um and also it's a different business model, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, it's just about eyeballs and as long as there are people paying for their subscription overall then that's what matters and you're right maybe that but with those kind of things it's more about building credibility and so creative awards success is more important than the number of people who watch it look at it look at it this way for example uh, this is kind of derailing but just on a quick <laughs> on a quick note sorry i'm going to try to keep this brief um netflix doesn't pay their lights 
lights on uh, the electricity by having Scorsese films. They made one. They made one. They also acquired one uh, Alfonso film, right? They make yeah. they they make and acquire trashy films that keep eyeballs and content. It's all content. Those few films, Irishman, Roma, those are the prestige shit that will get them awards and give them cred- credibility. Yeah. So those things are arbitrary. It will happen once in a while. Scorsese went to Apple with his new film. Doesn't matter, right? So it's not like they're trying to be like, oh, Scorsese, come back to us. You'll get director's cut on this, like we you did with the Irishman. It's all good. We're here for you, baby. Um, no, it's, just, it's more of a like you get us, you get us Oscars. We'll talk about the next script. We don't give a shit to be fair. But it's, but it's funny again, that director's are... cut is completely cut out of that conversation at all. It's like there's just yeah. implied. Of course, you will get final cut. You have this your film. director. But then I guess. But then so then that raises an interesting question about the the difference between you know your A list your A list directors who who yeah just by the the virtue of their name bring credibility to the platform so you say yeah go ahead make your directors cut your yeah your, the cut that sits on this platform as opposed to all the other films that that, that become out as netflix originals sure, sure. where they need to behave more like the content right that they put out which is it's all judged on the number of people who actually watch it so for yeah so for example here's a good uh so noah baumbach's marriage story was acquired by Netflix. Um, John David Washington and Zendaya's film Malcolm Memory. Yes, finally remembered that film for fuck's sake. Um, that was acquired from Sund- Sundance, I believe. And that was, again, just filler material for the content. The reason why I say this, there's only two times that I remember Netflix actually putting out promotional material for for their films, which was The Irishman, I remember seeing that on the tube, um, and Roma. That was another one two films they put promotional material for anybody remember did they go to the oscars i don't remember i don't mm. watch those things uh Ro- roma did yeah I'm not irishman sure. irishman oh, did yeah. basically but you want yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you want anything um and Man- mank is as well i think mank is yeah mank year. yes mank i watched that film quite hammered so that's not that's not <laughs> one, one thing just to, to steer it I, this, i'm not really sure what to make of this but the uh Speaking of this more Lord of the Rings un- hate, unusual cuts. But <laughs> it's all the hate. The um, so the hateful eight, the Tarantino film, yeah. um, has been put is being kind of shot, cut as a TV show and released on Netflix. So I don't even know any what sense. To, I have yeah, no idea. What is, that, is that actually that. legit on Netflix? Well, Dude, check get, your WhatsApp. You, yeah, it's yeah, sorry, doing, I, it didn't, I'm out of phone. It's, <laughs> it's in the it's in the states. And normally, you can't get it here, but they've they've cut it into into four different episodes and that's, released the film as a TV show. That's really interesting because Tarantino has said himself he'd be interested in going into TV, but a lot of people have said his films are so, not just length, but the way that they're so intricate and like mm. kind of explorative that they would work well as a TV show. That's quite interesting to hear that they've even, is that with his blessing then, presumably? I don't I don't know because that's the, that's the key thing. Also, like, the was film it... is on the platform too. Well, so, so you can either watch it as a two and a half hour film. Oh, that might they might be so doing that. I'd have to, by the way, anyone weird. listening to this, I, this is this is uncharted territory for me. But they might be doing that because people are like, oh, do you want to watch a two hour film? And everyone's like, oh no. And it's like, would you want to watch ten episodes or something that's an hour or long? Fifty like, minutes. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like you end up watching it's a miniseries. Like, yeah, you end up watching five <laughs> so, times as much stuff as you do than a two hour movie. Yeah, that's weird. And man. so that that that's an interesting thing about you know. If directors are turning to director's cuts in the film world because they want longer to explore characters and stuff, does that make TV just a better medium now? If they can get the same budgets, the same talent, the same production value into a 20-hour 
TV series. I th- well, I, the uh, thing that movies bring... This is get, definitely getting into another conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, this... I'm we, getting more, join episode, us next I'm getting time, more episode ideas listening to this. Um, <laughs> just to, to, to... One thing I was always kind of go back to is um, TV and film will... Basically, TV will never be film for obvious reasons, A, because it's TV, but also because of the prestige that theatrical brings. <laughs> like, theatrical... Wow. Having your film being released in cinemas, whether it pans or not, it's... it's... Yeah, it's every director's intent when yeah. they make a film. When like, you make, you want to make it as bold, like... One of it, it always has been. I think it's always yeah. been. No, yeah. Nobody goes to make a film that and be like, yo, this is straight to DVD, baby. It's not like any director sets out thinking that seeing their film on a phone would be a good idea. It's or that some I people just put up, put up with the fact that that has been... You know, it's like no, Alfonso no, Cron was like, if you watch Roma on a phone, great, Whatever. at yeah. least you're watching it. But my in my opinion, you need to watch it at the cinema. Yeah, exactly. But like, yeah, yeah, but but like was, was Mank released at the cinema? Yeah, boy. Watched it there. Okay, okay, fine. Yeah, so yeah, they are, they are I don't still think it had as big a release because of COVID. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Like, we had to kind of like book... We, <laughs> as, we had to sit in hazmat suits in the, um, in the cinema. No, just, so like it was Prince Charles, so it was a tiny cinema as it is, right? But uh, mm. so half to put that tiny cinema in half or less. Like I remember, it might have been like God given thirty people at best. It sounds like we're all thinking that we're all we're all approaching the director's cut angle from slightly different places. It sounds like some of us feel that director's cuts should are 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 a good thing and maybe some of us are feeling that director's cuts might cease to exist given netflix sounds like to answer our original question what is a director's cut because I'm, I'm trying to find a way to wrap this up and i don't really know how to but i feel like i feel like to answer the to to, to see if we've answered the original question i would say that it's something that has existed and will continue to exist but given streaming and other platforms becoming bigger it would be interesting to see if it disappears purely because there's more creative control given to directors. Yeah. But essentially, regardless of whether or not you end up having the final cut or not, you would like to think that the film is mostly a representation of whatever you set out to do in the first place, even if it ends up being that your final, final cut of the film. You know, because I'm sure there's directors out there that have had a final cut of a film that they necessarily didn't have a full hand in, but are actually still really happy with it. I can't think of an example because it's probably not publicized, but I'm sure that there is examples of that. Yeah. Yeah. Say that again. Where, they... Basically, I just think that there are, there probably are examples of films where directors have not had final cut of it, Right. But are not the, like opposed, fiercely opposed against yeah, yeah. that final cut. They still like yeah. it. Yeah. I just, I just yeah. can't think of an example because it's probably not a publicized thing. Well, maybe, right? maybe right. just, maybe just most films. Well, I yeah. This is, well, this is what goes back to going like it's interesting for most people to consider that most films you see are not a director's cut. Yeah. Yeah. A director like, does not have final cut on most films. Yeah. Th- and this is where no, you can, I th- I th- and I think you can tell. I, I think, think you can that's, tell. Uh, I think that's wrong way of. I don't know if it, if it is a wrong way of awareness, it? uh, but it's okay. The final film is may not potentially to Spielberg or whatever, who, who have Josh Tranks or whatever uh, of the world. They may not have director's cut in the contract, um, but the film they put out might still be as close to a representation of their vision as possibly can. Meaning, you know, that it's not always it's not always the worst case scenario. You know what I mean? 
um where it's just like yeah yeah that yeah i think it's been popularized that like oh someone else cut this and and now you don't have control of it and yeah no no i think i think that's kind of bullshit <laughs> i mean if that happened then how many directors would would there be working these days do you I think? think i think it has happened a lot in the past but i don't think it's maybe representative of for sure, no for sure it has happened but i just mean like it does it it's 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 not so predatory as one make it seem you know what i mean but get but okay. For example, to tying this up, given the given the choice of watching the original Apocalypse Now or watching the Redux version that Coppola has spent hours refining and 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 even I think taking footage away from what was originally in the original cut, I would rather watch the Redux cut if I had the choice, knowing because I'd like to watch the cut that most fulfilled the director's vision yeah. and everyone else who worked on the film right like it'd be interesting to to see what people would choose if they were given a choice i mean i saw that film quite kind of late so that that was the version i saw so for me but i did read an art, an article saying like does it add anything anything new to the material such as like aliens there was an alien bunch of alien cuts as well where like nothing to you know you watch it once and you're like okay this film was good you you see on a marquee saying like oh uh unlimited ultimate edition yeah good example is batman and superman i watched the first cut uh what well, theatrical cut and then the ultimate edition came out did not give a shit to see it still haven't seen it so it's just like does it actually do all that much this is a conversation starter and i am sorry to <laughs> finish on it <laughs> it was like and wrapping it up yeah. <laughs> on a cliffhanger <laughs> just the maybe the lack of knowledge people have of it or even awareness that that it's a thing but also just where it's taking filmmaking because yeah, sure. you know you need a director to make a film so you most people would think you wouldn't trust their vision but ultimately it sounds like as we have explored that there are all types of different scenarios that involve all types of different people <laughs> where all and types of anything could happy. ever happen do you yeah. really need a director? Can't can't the actors just read the lines and the cameraman films it? I, well, I don't know what the t- <laughs> <laughs> that's like every client like ever that, for an hour. That, that like, well, actually on. that's actually another great episode idea. Do you even need a director? Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it really is it really an idea worth exploring? Like <laughs> I have to ask. Say, so, Dom, have you ever made a director's cut for an ad you've made? Like the height of self indulgence. <laughs> um, no. Well, no, but I think there have been cuts. Uh, you do get directors that make cuts of the ad because the client cut the ad in a way that they didn't yeah. like, but and they have the footage and they've shot it, so they cut it for their reel. Yeah, and that is a, in a way that is a mini director's cut, isn't it? It's like that, yeah, that, yeah. That, I mean, that is a director's I've had, cut. I've had campaigns where where exactly that. Yeah, the director's done a sort of director's cut of our ad, and it's like two minutes yeah. long, and it's like really emotional, <laughs> completely different meaning. But I guess what and I think. What what makes you why, why do you think they've done that? I mean, well, so this is this. it, and and so this is uh, yeah, going back to it now. But this is the whole reason why I think it's interesting to try and see the 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 end product as more than just a director's vision and all the better for it. Because I think you watch something like that and you're like, yeah, I mean, I can see how it's a beautiful example of film craft. Right? If it doesn't can... sell the product that it intended. Okay, so to... how am I well, the business it, guy? It's in like, this? but it's like the story. <laughs> you yeah, guys yeah. are literally the business guys here. <laughs> <laughs> but like but you know for instance in a, 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 to your point ben as earlier about writers you know um directors in advertising don't write their ads right the ad was written by the agency and uh, but the director's right. not necessarily bothered about getting across the idea of the script mm-hmm. right in the director's cut for an ad they're trying to kind of show off their 
it's for their reel. So it's all about film craft and it's all about yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. how do we make the most compelling <laughs> piece of film. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, 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 to me, it's indicative of how if things are balanced the right way, then the different skill sets and the different um, inputs lead to a better output than just a director's vision. George Lucas, you listening? <laughs> yeah, so George, stop tinkering with Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a good that's a good place to yeah. end it. <laughs> I'm about to get sacked from my agency. We're like, we love that director's cut. Yeah. Well, guys, you really gave this a good whirl, considering that it's been a while since we've done that. Everyone's yeah, got man. some pod energy saved up to yeah. expend. Got our pod credits. Everyone's <laughs> cashed in on this app. Yeah, yeah. More, more where that came from and stuff. <laughs> the real question I'm going to end this on is, if I edit this episode and cut things out, am I making a director's cut of this podcast episode? Ooh. No, I think you're going to be serv- servicing sp- uh, the listeners. Spotify. You're the, you're, you're the business guy here. <laughs> if i don't edit the episode at all it is pure unfiltered studio (laughs) studio version some exec from squadcast is going to be like it's too long man it's too long for our audience yeah should we should we just should i give give you guys all the files and we can make four different cuts like the louis cut (laughs) the the business cut the business we we can put them out and see which one people prefer the tight benny's cut the the business cut will just be all business points talking about the podcast (laughs) well you gotta put the butts in seats boy yeah, I mean, technically, every ep- every edit is a director's cut of the podcast. Okay, it's going into another. Yeah, yeah, anyway, so it's not- <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, this was fun, guys. This was a this was a one of our fun ha- hangout apps. Yeah, that's Ooh. that's what you should. I feel like that's what you should call it a hangout app. Hangout. It's apps. a hangout app instead of a spin-off. hangout app where we get pretty deep on a specific point of filmmaking, but we're still hanging out technically. We should let it hang out. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's good. This is it's good. It's been a good. Uh, yeah, this has been an interesting journey for listeners. Not yeah, quite yeah. used to this I'm angle. Go find director's cuts now. Wow. <laughs> to watch. Yeah, now they know. And now they'll yeah. be going into a film and be like, is this the real director's cut? Yeah, yeah that's what we really want to leave people with. When you go into a movie, don't <laughs> enjoy really it. Suspicious, like, don't enjoy it. Just overthink, overthink <laughs> which cut is it. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say to people, I would, I would urge them to seek out director's cuts of films they like because some of them can be quite vastly different and interesting. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Benas. Uh, bye. <laughs> goodbye from Spire, aka Analog Man. See ya. Goodbye from Louis, aka Lieutenant Clan. <laughs> All right. Bye.